let's get our Bibles out if you don't have it out even yet. And I would invite you to open it up to Ephesians chapter 4. And while you're opening up to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, I think it's true. I'm, I want to try to be careful to my own heart. I'm pretty sure it's true that every sermon series I've ever preached, I've enjoyed. Some more than others. But some sermon series, I honestly believe I'm preaching because I desperately need to hear it. And I want to let you know that this is a series that I have desperately needed to hear for myself. And I think it's probably likely true that almost everybody in here desperately needs to hear this series as well. That's why I'm asking you to come and bring your Bibles with you every single week. And don't let that be the only time your Bible is open. Get it open every day. We're going to look week after week at the power of our mouths, the power of our tongues. Dave Brannon, he's from Our Daily Bread. A lot of us read that, I'm sure, periodically, or at least maybe even daily. Our Daily Bread, it's a devotional. He gave the eulogy, which is a funeral blessing, a funeral message, for the managing editor of Our Daily Bread, Kurt DeHaan. If you've read Our Daily Bread long enough, you've seen Kurt DeHaan's name at the bottom of a lot of them. And Dave Brannon said this about Kurt DeHaan in that eulogy. In the 22 years I had known Kurt and worked with him and talked with him, I never once heard Kurt say a negative word about any other person. What a rare person. I want to be that person, and I'm not. And I want you to be people like that as well, and maybe, perhaps, you're not either. But we need to be a people that build others up with our mouths and not cut them down. Some of us speak a lot. Some of us not so much, but we all speak and look at what Jesus declares. You'll see it on the screen. Look at the source of every one of our words. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's coming from Jesus. So if you've got a problem with your speech, you really have a problem with your heart. And our hearts talk. And people all around us receive the words that we choose to speak. Now, there are several medical tests that can diagnose the condition of our hearts. My mom right now has gone and is going through a lot of them. She appears to have some fluid on her heart, the beginning of congestive heart failure. So they're taking her through a lot of tests, blood tests, electrocardiograms, echocardiograms, coronary angiograms, MRIs, a lot more of them. But I want to tell you, if you want to see your spiritual heart health, then the great physician, that is Jesus, says, pay attention to your words. That's going to tell you how healthy your heart is. Because our words bubble up from our hearts. They travel out of our mouths like a river from a spring, like lava from a volcano. Yet the Bible warns us, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So the question I hope that you're beginning to ask, 
How then can our communication be used for good and not evil if the tongue is untamable? Well, it's untamable by human effort. But it is not untamable by Jesus Christ. Do you remember the movie, the classic Disney movie, Bambi? Do you remember Thumper the rabbit? When he first meets the fawn, Bambi, and he's trying to walk, and Bambi's not walking very well. And he tells Bambi's mom, what's wrong? Your Bambi doesn't walk good, that's what he says. And Thumper's mama, which is right, she's right there, she immediately asked him, Thumper, what did your father tell you this morning? And all sheepish-looking Thumper finally says, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. How many parents have given that same advice to their children only to see it not work? Is taming the tongue so easy that you could just choose not to speak? And is that even really the answer? Does that advice actually get to the root of the problem? Well, in this sermon series, we're going to see how the power of God can tame our tongues. Today, we're going to look at the double-edged command that Paul gives, some insightful counsel, and a sobering concern. So let's jump right into it, and I really hope that you pay attention to this series like you never have before. This is, I think, critical for each of us and us as a church. First, a double-edged command. And we're going to look at chapter 4, verse 29, verse 30. That's going to be the main text. But as we get ready to look at that, let's look back a little bit, even all the way to verse 17. And let's look at what the Apostle Paul has just written. It's very, very important that we get the context. Look at verse 17. We must not live Christian or walk, he says, as Gentiles. That's a word for unbelievers. So you can't live the way that an unbeliever lives. Unbelievers do not understand because they have never experienced the life of God. It has not brought the light of understanding into their minds. Their minds are darkened, Paul says. They just will not believe. They will not trust Jesus. But Christians have believed. Look at verse 24. And God has made each of us a new creation. We have a new self. And that is a recreated self to be like Christ. So already we've got some really good theology that Paul has given to us. And the moment, Christian, that you put your faith and your trust exclusively in Jesus Christ, God made you, he recreated you with a new heart, a new self, a new creation. And his goal is that you and I are just like Jesus it's really a very simple goal. If you really want to know what God's will for your life, you can certainly answer it on the highest level this way. It is that you become more like Jesus. And God has a lot of ways to do that. It is this incredible fact that God has made each Christian a new creation. Look at verse 22. Created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, it makes possible the command in verse, four, in verse 22 to put off your old self. Now, I'm sure if you worked out today, I rode my bicycle today with a group. We did about 25 miles. 
And on the way home, I noticed something absolutely incredible. I didn't smell very good. I know you think I'm saintly, that I never have a poor smell. I don't think any of you think that. But yes, I did not smell well this morning. And I took those clothes off and put new clothes on. That's really the imagery, that we are new creation. Therefore, when you're a new person in Christ, your old profanity, it doesn't look right on you. That wardrobe doesn't fit your new self. The old you that used to steal from Wawa, that doesn't work anymore. That doesn't look good on you. You don't feel right about it anymore. You take that off. That you used to lie to your parents. That's not right. It doesn't fit your new creation. You put it off. So Paul is saying, you've got to take off the old wardrobe that you used to have before you were a Christian and now dress in your new clothes that God has given to you. Don't live the way you used to live. Live the way you've been created to live, like Jesus. Paul is going to tell us that one of the clear ways that we must live like God is with our mouths. Now you might be thinking that Paul has in mind only the worst swear words in the culture of his day. I mean, just take the worst of the worst swear words out and you're on your way to being like Jesus. He means a whole lot more than that. We are to put away falsehood. Look at verse 25. You see that in your text. That's why I want your Bibles open. We can't be liars anymore. We can't even be partial truth tellers. We've got to put it away. That's, that belongs to your old you, not your, new, not your new you. You can't have bitterness or wrath, verse 31, or anger or clamor or slander or malice. No filthy or foolish talk or crude joking, chapter 5, verse 4. No empty words, chapter 5, verse 6. You see, this is the way he's telling you. This is the way a new created person lives. And it's a lot to do with our mouths. Now, some of you are wondering, are we ever going to get to the text? We're going to, but let me get you thinking a little bit more. I want you to think back. Can you do this? I know this is like a... Um, Sometimes when a pastor asks you to do this, it's like a permission to put your mind in neutral. Can I actually get you to manually, nobody has manual cars anymore hardly, can you try to, I don't know, picture in your mind pushing in the clutch of your mental acuity and putting it into gear. I want you to think back to yesterday. I'm not asking you to go back a month. I'm not even asking you to go back a week. Just go back to yesterday. And I want you to try and recall some of what you said. I'm going to actually pause for a little bit because I want you to actually do this discipline. Think back to just yesterday and recall some of the words that came out of your mouth. Will you do that right now for a few seconds? As you're recollecting yesterday... Were there crude jokes? Were there vulgar words or phrases? Were there, now listen to this one, careless words? Or cutting, critical words? Those kinds of words, as you're going to see in a moment, turn the stomach of the one who's listening. But they reveal what is in your heart. Words are your heart's talking they are windows for you to see what is in you you know how it looks right that juicy lean in quiet your voice piece of gossip 
It shows a heart of bitter jealousy. That's what that does. That slanderous comments about somebody that's not there with you shows a heart of selfish ambition. You love the power to destroy somebody else. I know that's really hard to hear that, but that's really what's going on in slander. That's what your heart is doing. That vulgar joke reveals the heart pumping out its love of immorality. That profane tirade gives you a view to the anger that is so lodged in your heart. The hatred that your heart, that your life could get out of control. You think anger is going to get it back into control. Those judgmental, critical words that you have for your children or your parents or your spouse or your coworker or your neighbor or your friend. They open up the view of your heart. It's like they unzip your heart and you can look in there and you can see you've got a lot of pride you've got a lot of what you feel like is superiority the command of paul is to put off your old self and be renewed in the spirits of your mind verses 22 and verse 23 and how do we do that we do that by putting on the new self which is created after the likeness of god and true righteousness and holiness we have new hearts we have new minds because we've been made new creations. And here we go, verse 29. Therefore, let no corrupting work, or talk rather, come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. Now, what does that word corrupting mean? It's very evocative in the Greek. It was a word for rotten fruit and spoiled fish. It actually was a word also for a crumbling wall. The word corrupting is rotten. That's really what it is. You know, I learned years ago, this is about, I think, 2010. It was the fall of 2010. And I was away on a sabbatical. And when I came back, one of our staff, which I will remain unnamed, one of our staff thought it would be really funny to take a couple of students and hide a package of raw seafood, an open package of raw seafood in my office. When I came back, a day or two after I came back, I noticed, man, something just doesn't smell right. And I couldn't figure out what it was. The stench got worse and worse till finally I started looking. Something has got to be bad in this office. I finally find this tray from the from giant grocery store, the plastic had been peeled off. It was raw squid. I threw it out, sprayed my office, went home, came back the next day. The smell was worse. I searched and I searched my entire office. I found not just one more of those packages, two more hidden packages all throughout my office. That's what the word corrupting means. You can speak in a way, I can too, that is, brings a stench to the people who hear it. Corrupting talk, Paul says, must not come out of the mouth of a Christian. It is rotten fruit. It sickens other people. One rotten piece of fruit can ruin a whole bushel. It never ever works the other way. 
You can have a whole bushel of good fruit that you put in with that rotten fruit. It doesn't make that rotten one good. This is the power of corrupt language. It will corrupt, it will rot, it will sicken. I love St. Augustine, who in the 4th and 5th century, his life spanned the turn of that century. He hung a sign on his dining room wall, and it said this, Whoever speaks evil of an absent man or woman is not welcome at this table. I think that sign ought to be around us all the time. Wouldn't that be a really interesting way to have dinner with our family? If that sign was governing our conversation. Paul commands us to stop any corrupt talk, but also he commands us to speak in a way that is good for building others up. And he gives some insightful counsel. That would be point number two. Some insightful counsel. Would have been amazing, wouldn't it, to listen to Jesus talk? Can you imagine? One day you will, Christian, but can you imagine when he was here? What it would have been like to hang out with Jesus for a day or a week or a month or a year just to listen to how he spoke. He had a reputation that he garnered in Luke chapter 4 and all spoke well of Jesus. Why? They marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. That's the goal, Christian. That's what the Spirit of God wants, that we speak similarly to Jesus. And Paul gives us some very wonderful counsel to help us do that very thing. He says in verse 29, Speak as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now let me catch you up a little bit, and then we're going to move on. What we've talked about is this. We've got to take off the old clothes. We're not old creations any longer. You've been made new. Therefore, God has a whole new wardrobe for you. And what comes out of your mouth can corrupt. It can be rotten. But the very antithesis of that is the command that we need to not speak in a way that's going to sicken other people. We need to speak in a way that's going to build other people up. The word is edify them. It makes their lives better. It helps their faith grow stronger. It increases their confidence in the Lord. That's what speaking in a way that builds others up does. But then he says, but you've got to speak wisely. There's some good counsel. You've got to know what the occasion is. You can't just let a stream of words come out because you don't know if they're hitting the target. Have you ever bought anything off of Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or eBay or Walmart or Kohl's or a dealership? Okay, I think I got us all. Or Wawa. And don't you do some research if they're bigger monetary items? Don't you want to know the value to see if you're getting a good deal? If you're not, you don't want to be overpaying. Before you order something off of a menu at a restaurant, aren't you like me? Don't you look at the price of the item that you want to order? If you're under 16, I know you don't. But the rest of us, we have to. We examine, we determine value all the time. And Paul counsels us to do this with our words. Build others up by your words as the occasion, the need, the situation warrants. You've got to evaluate. You've got to examine your words before you say them to see if they are actually the words that are needed to hear. 
if they are good, if they are helpful, if they give grace. Nobody. I mean, listen, my father was a contractor. He built churches all over New York State. I worked a lot with him. He never took a pile of construction supplies and then just started throwing it haphazardly together to build a church or a house. There's a set of plans. You've got to learn to speak wisely, learn to intentionally discern. What does that person need to hear? If your friend is struggling in their marriage, I'm just going to tell you, your pithy, well-meant advice means nothing. And if their struggle in their marriage links into a struggle that you're experiencing, you're going to pile on, and your advice is not going to be redemptive. It won't bring grace to hear. You've got to withhold your words. You've got to discern what is really the occasion that my words need to fit. What does that person really need to hear from me? Not your commiseration. Not your agreement that their spouse is a worthless human being. That's not the words that are fitting the occasion. They will not bring grace. If someone wants to share gossip with you, what should you say that is fit for that occasion to that person? Should you just refuse to listen, saying, listen, I'm not listening, I'm, I'm moving away now? That's not really going to bring grace. How about helping them to get to their heart? Why are you sharing information that is not yours to share? What's going on in your heart? Can you let me unzip that for you? And let's look together what's down there. That's when your words can communicate grace. That's when they're fit for the occasion. I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to hear this in 12 weeks in the course of the sermon series. We just got to speak less. That's the real solution. To pause before we speak and to evaluate, is this really what I should be saying? The Bible puts it this way in Psalm 141. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I think that should be a prayer that we pray throughout the day. Can I get you to put it on a 3 by 5 card? Get it on your phone. Put it on a screensaver on your computer if you still use one. Listen, set a guard, God, over the door of my mouth. And if you pray that, he's going he's to teach you a principle that goes like this. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. If we would master this principle, then our words would fit the occasion so much more often. Seek first to understand. That means listen. Don't speak. Listen and gather data, and you do that through asking questions. And if you're going to ask what, when, where, and how, those are information-gathering questions, and they're critically important, and they're very good questions to ask. But if you want to get down into the heart of the person and find out what the occasion really is, what's really going on, you've got to get to the why questions. Why are you so angry? Why do you want to leave your husband? 
Why are you sharing what is not your information to share? Why are you criticizing that person? What's going on down there? Because Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, A wise man goes down deep into the motives of the heart and brings it up for all to see. If you want to be wise with your words, you go down deep into the heart where things are murky, things are dark, you need the light of Christ to be able to see it down there, and then you bring it up, go, this is your motivation. And this is either pleasing to the Lord or it's not pleasing to the Lord. And I love you enough to tell you that. And my words will fit the occasion. I have so often spoken before understanding and almost without fail, my words proved embarrassingly off target. I don't remember ever meeting an Agatha. If there is an Agatha in this church, I hope I get a chance to meet you. Your name is absolutely beautiful. It means good. It comes from this very Greek word that Paul uses for the word good in our text. Look at what it is, agathos. That's the Greek word for good. That gives us the name Agatha. It means profitable, beneficial for other people. And that's how you evaluate the worth of your words. Are they helpful to others? Are they agathos? Are they going to build others up? Are they going to give grace to that person? And he doesn't leave the notion of good up for your interpretation. He clearly explains it. Look what he says in the text. That it may give grace to those who hear. That's how you know if your words are good. Are you channeling God's grace to that person? Are my words a channel of God's grace to those who hear? It's, it's really like this, and this is really incredible imagery. It's as if God is speaking to that person through your lips. And that really is the thought. When we are on the receiving end, now hang with me, when we're on the receiving end of corrupt words, rotten words, harsh words, we must, as new creations, respond back with the grace of God. That is terribly difficult. We don't respond with hurtful words, but with love and forgiveness and kindness and truth. And we pause and we evaluate our words before they escape our lips. And we ask, are my words gracious? Will they build up the person? Now let me just ask you a couple more penetrating questions. How are you doing with your mouths and your marriages? Let's just be really honest. And you may be tempted to say, well, you made me look yesterday for that. And yeah, you know, as I looked yesterday, I didn't say anything terrible. But did you say anything good? Did you give grace to that person, to your spouse? How are you doing with your words to your children? That's a struggle, isn't it, parents? How are you doing, kids, with your words to your parents? Are they giving grace? To your parents? Is God wanting to give your parents grace and He's deciding to use you to give it? The only way we're going to learn to speak in a way that is not corrupt 
that is building others up, that is fitting for the occasion, that will give grace to those who hear, is if we pause. We learn to pause and we evaluate our words before they escape our lips. And we've got to learn to do this, for our words do more than affect other people. And that's Paul's third point that I want to bring out. Look at verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is a very sobering concern. It might not be necessary to say, but the word and that begins verse 30 connects it to what Paul has said before. It's the entire section on falsehood, anger, stealing, new creations, put off your old, put on your new. Christians, we have been given new hearts, and as new creations, we are to live in a way that is like Christ. And our heart talk can give overwhelming evidence of the work of Christ. But amazingly, and I want you to hear this, are you ready? Just really slow down your thinking for a moment and really listen. Terribly, incredibly, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can cause his, I mean, just think of a time where you were in grief. The raw emotions of it. We can do this in the Spirit of God. We can produce this effect in God. He could be moved to joy over his people, and he could be moved to grief with the way that we speak. I am pretty sure that everybody, I'm just going to say everybody in this sanctuary, and if you're listening to this message on the web, I mean everybody, I don't know anybody that truly intentionally wants to bring grief to God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you see here that this tells us that God is not some distant creator far from us, unaffected by our actions? Listen, this is the beauty of this. He has come down into our world, into our lives, and into our hearts, and he sees, and he hears everything. What amazing love he has for us to be so near to us. And what motivation we have to know that we are ever before this loving God who is working in us to live in a way that he takes pleasure in. This is the work of the Spirit of God. He's helping us to live our new created hearts in a way that can bless other people and bring pleasure to God. And there is an accounting for our words. Jesus himself said it. This is actually, you're going to hear this next week, Lord willing. I tell you, Jesus said, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Do you have any careless words? You know what that means? Did you say anything without evaluating it? Did it escape your lips before you filtered it? 
and you filter it. Is this corrupt? Is it rotten? Is it coming from my heart that needs desperately to be transformed? Or are my words ready to bring grace to the person who hears, building them up because I know it's fitting the occasion? I have prayed, I evaluated, I have paused. I know what's going on in that person and I've got words to tell them that are going to bring them to hope from the living word of God and Jesus is about to bring grace to them through me. That's what it means to not have careless words. The Apostle Paul means us to see how we can use our mouths in the body of Christ, the church. Now listen, I want you to see something. This is really cool, and I really, I'm almost done. Paul has carefully explained that God is building up his church as his dwelling place. That's really one of the major themes of Ephesians. It's one of the reasons I love this book so much. And all Christians, look at chapter 2, verse 19. Can you flip your pages back? It's probably only one page. Can you flip back? Look at verse 19. All Christians are saints and members of the household of God. In Christ, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, and this is clear, explicitly clear, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There's a building operation going on the spirit of god is building us and he's doing it so that god has increasingly a more pleasurable place to dwell and in order to do that look at chapter 4 verse 11 he's given the church apostles and prophets and evangelists the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for what? For building up the body of Christ. Look at verse 16. And when every single Christian is functioning properly in God's church, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the purpose of God. This is what he's doing in the church. He desires to build up the church. And when we in the church speak with rotten heart talk, we tear down rather than build up. We oppose the work of the Spirit of God rather than partner with Him. And the Spirit grieves over this, for He has put His seal on you, Christian. You know what that means? It means you belong to Him. He's got His name tag on you. Yes, there are other implications of that, that you are so protected by the Spirit of God, but ultimately and fundamentally it means you now belong to him. He put his name on you. He sealed you, and he sealed you to the day of redemption, meaning he's going to keep working and refining and building and changing your heart and harnessing your lips so that more and more you're building up, not tearing down. You're fitting the occasion. You don't have rotten fruit in your mouth. This is what the Spirit of God is doing, and it's rather exciting. He's changing the way we speak. Now, I need to tell you this. If you walk out of here convicted, which I would suggest that most of us probably should, regardless of your age, but if you walk out of here convicted and you determine in your own effort to try harder to speak the right words, you are doomed to failure. And I don't say that because you're not intelligent enough. It has nothing to do with your intelligence, nor does it have anything to do with your effort. The change and the transformation of your heart is the work of the Spirit of God that you respond obediently to. 
It must be from God. And he's going to change your heart as you respond in obedience to his power. And so the very question that I want us to ask throughout the day is this. Is my heart talking in a way that is building people up or tearing others down? And I'm going to give you two massive ways to do that in 10 seconds. When you realize that your heart is corrupting and not building, you ask the person to forgive you. You will find faster than anything that trains you to have the discipline to pause before you speak. And it's the same way with God. When he convicts you and shows you that what came out of your mouth was rotten and it came from a heart that is in need of change, it's time to confess. Don't make excuses. Don't blame the other people. Don't rationalize it away. Simply confess. It means to agree with God and repent. God, I was wrong. And I am desperately in need of your help. And if you help me, I will learn to respond to your strength with obedience and change my heart so my mouth builds people up. So make it a habit to hit the pause button. Give time to evaluate the motivation behind your words. And if that motivation is corrupt or rotten, you got to take it off. And by the power of God, get it out of your heart. Confess it to God and repent. And if that motivation is for the building of of, uh, others up and it's fitting the occasion and you are channeling God's grace to that person, then let it fly. Let it go. Speak the words. And practice it throughout the day and your heart will learn to talk in a way that pleases, not grieves God. We have a lot in front of us in this series. This is the foundational text. And what I aimed to communicate as I close is this. We've got a problem with our heart, but it's really more a problem that surfaces through our mouths. And the problem is finding its solution and not clamping your mouth shut, but evaluating your heart. Evaluate your words. Are they rotten or are they grace channels? Are they fitting the occasion? And the only way you're going to do that is to become a consummate researcher of your own motivation. Pause and evaluate. Why am I wanting to say what I'm about to say? Stop the words. Look at them carefully. And if they are pleasing to the Lord, if they will give grace, let it go. If they won't, shut the lips and take it off. That's the gospel's message. And the Spirit of God will give you the power to do this but you must be intentional. Amen?